Hello, welcome back or welcome for first time listeners to another episode. We cover a lot of ground on the topic of alcohol, especially the role of alcohol in social events, as a society in general, um, and how the social stigma against non-drinkers is changing, how the role of the internet has influenced this changing drinking culture, but also a caveat to this change or this decrease in drinking culture and the detriments it has on our generation in stepping out of our comfort zones and how it may be decreasing our creativity. I hope you enjoy this episode. I also hope you enjoy the extensive life update this week. We cover a lot more emotionally complex issues, which is why it took a while, but I had a lot of fun and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I loved recording it. Okay, so life update this episode, I've been making a lot of new friends, which has been super exciting because it's really different to how I made friends in my first two years of uni. What I mean by that is when I was starting uni, I was feeling a bit troubled with the whole friendship department because in high school, I had a group of five close friends. We ate lunch together every single day. And then when I went to uni and joined this new cohort of 300 people, so two times the amount of people of co- like were, that were in my year level when I was in high school and with classes with different groups and really massive friendship groups all our gatherings had at least 10 to 15 people even the small gatherings were still quite big it was tricky it was tricky sort of getting to know everyone really well when there's so many people whereas now that I'm on hospital placement and the whole cohort for us is only about 20 30 people you get to know people really well and I'm really excited that I've been able to make a lot of new friends so in the hospital I've settled in it's been two months and after a lot of lunch times a lot of class times together I've come to this new realization where some of the classmates that I'm with are significantly older by significant I mean six years because they're, even though they're doing the same degree that I am, some of them have done other things beforehand. For example, one person who's 26 has done a double degree Bachelor of Medicine, Biomedicine and Engineering before and they're honours year. So they've, they've got a lot of letters after their name already. Another person who's also 26 took a gap year to pursue professional dance, did the military beforehand. So... They're a lot older and you'd think with the age gap, you'd be really hard to connect as friends, but I don't think so at all. I used to think that, but I don't think that's the case anymore because before you're 20, most of your friends are your age. They're the people you go to class with and therefore the only people that you connect to, even if you have some really good moments or you might do some extracurricular activities with people who are younger or older than you. Even if they're great times, you always come back to your friendship group or groups and those people are close to you in age. 
But the important thing is in uni and even in adulthood, you can see because there are some marriages where people are 15, 20 years apart. But the whole point is in uni, those limitations based on age, on friendships, don't exist. Or if they do exist, they don't persist in the ways that they did in high school. So the takeaway from that is people may be in different stages of their life in terms of their education, their maturity, their personal or professional development. But if you do the same activities, if you're in the same class, if you're doing the same extracurricular, for example, I was in a debating team with someone who was four years older than I was, and we were friends, and the age gap didn't really ever make a difference. Um, Same with the people who are 26 and I'm 20. Uh, There's a big gap, but we talk as if like there's no big deal and there, there shouldn't be a big deal. You're all adults. So there's always an opportunity for connection and I don't think age should be a limiting factor in the types of friends that you make, especially the close friends. Another update, not as fun, is I've been really struggling with sleeping. Um, So I don't have diagnosed insomnia, but I definitely feel very jittery if I'm trying to sleep before 12am. And as much as I wish I was the type of person to get to bed at 9 or by 9, over the last three weeks I've been on my general surgery rotation. So I've been getting up at 5.30 to get to the hospital by 7 And I also have, like, there's no one to pick a bone with, but I have a bone to pick with someone. I just don't know who. But, like, say I'm getting to the hospital by 7, it would be amazing if I was getting there and then I was immediately going into action. Like, I get there at 7 and surgery starts at 7, so I just get to go in and watch or scrub in. But on Gen Surge, where I'm on, I get there at 7 But then some of the registrars only get there by 7.30. Registrars are the people who will lead the ward round. The ward round being um, where you go around and you you visit all the patients and you get a handover from the people who looked after the patients the night before. And so the people who are running the ward round, doing the paper, you do a paper round first. So you catch up with the person who did, did the night shift. And then you do an in-person ward round. Anyway, surgery sometimes doesn't even start until 9. Or the other day, on Friday, it started at 12. So I just really wish that I would just get there maybe one hour or half an hour before the action happens. But that's not the case because, like, no one's going to really, like, tell you when surgery starts. And sometimes the surgeries only get put in on the morning. So you just have to come at seven every day and then wait for the action to happen. And it's not like I'm, I'm not saving lives or anything anyway. I just, if I'm going to surgery, I stand either next to the surgeon and watch or learn. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to, back to the sleeping situation. So all day, I feel like my brain is working on overdrive. I'm thinking, I'm always thinking about a couple of things at once, whether I'm studying or on the wards or sometimes I try not to, but when I'm running, I still feel like I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about what 
meal I want to cook this week or anything like that. And so by the time I finish studying and I've called my boyfriend for the day and I've done my night routine, I've packed my bag for tomorrow, picked up my outfit and everything, it might be 11 p.m. or 12, but I still need an hour of quiet time where I'm just lying in my bed under my sheets and watching TikToks to rewind from the really busy day. It worries me because... I don't feel ready to sleep until I've watched my TikToks. And I know it's definitely not good for my sleep because of how stimulating the content can be, how much information overload there is, especially if you're watching it now before bed, and the blue light exposure. Like all of these things, I feel like everybody would have a, a general understanding of. If you don't understand, then you've probably heard of it. But, and even though I know it would be better to journal. Because you can reflect on your day, you can start writing the goals for the next day, you can reflect on what you liked and you didn't like, or how you could improve tomorrow so that it was better than today. I think watching TikToks is a really lazy but efficient way to switch your brain off and get ready for bed. And it's concerning, yeah, but it's a quick fix. Um... Even though this decade of life should be about setting the foundations and not really relying on quick fixes, I think I'm just not ready or like I haven't got the emotional capacity to really deal with this issue yet. But if I do or when I do, I will let you know on the podcast. The takeaway from that is, yeah, I think, well, my prediction And I haven't done research on this or spoken to anyone about this, but I think there's going to be a serious epidemic in sort of developed countries or high income, not even high income, like low income too, just just a general epidemic or pandemic of insomnia where we're definitely not following the sunlight to to dictate what time we go to bed and and we go we wake up and it's more than just the lights in our homes it's like the lights on our phones it's interesting to see or to track rates of insomnia in the next 40 50 years my final life update is yesterday was my dad's birthday dinner and it was the first time that I was able to make it a really special day for him before it would be like my mom organizing the dinner or we'd have a dinner at home last year or two years ago we went out for Korean barbecue but this year we invited my cousin's family too plus my boyfriend so there was eight of us um and my job was basically to organize the whole thing I booked I chose the restaurant or well yeah I chose the restaurant I booked it arranged his gift said happy birthday to him all day and this is important to me it means a lot to me that I could do this for him because he grew up in a household that didn't really attend to the emotional needs of his inner child an example of this is when he turned five he said to his dad or my grandpa, like, it's my birthday today. 
and he's respo- the response he got was like, we don't really celebrate that it's not really something we we focus on and it sucks because in my opinion well cuz like i love my birthday i love how, how i love how special it makes me feel i love the day that i dedicate myself like it's a day that i do nothing for anyone else or nothing i'm not thinking about the future the past i'm just thinking about the fact that today is my day and it sucks that it's not the same for everyone i know that some people don't like the attention on them i know some people don't really see their birthday as any different or if you've had a really bad birthday one year your birthday period can be a a time where you're more emotionally sensitive therefore you're not really up to celebrating it I completely understand but I it's important to me that we celebrated my birthdays my dad's birthday thoroughly and well and that it was a special day for him it shouldn't be any child's responsibility to heal their parents inner child or inner children selves but i think it happens i think that children can support their parents and serve their emotional needs even if it's not our responsibility i think it still happens and i think that's okay um in return for all of the amazing things that my dad has done for me i think it's really important that you can do something back for him that is emotional and not not like a material good anyway i love that we could celebrate a day where he was the most special person in the room and it like the the meaningfulness of that day is added on by the fact that he normally doesn't draw attention to himself or he normally doesn't ask for things. He doesn't look out for himself much through buying the clothes that he wants or buying the foods that he likes. So we do that for him. And when I was thinking about this, I reckon that when we are in our 20s and we shift into being independent or we might already be independent it's important that we look out for our parents a bit more we forget that they're also going through new changes at the same time we are they're going they're living life for the first time and so there's maybe as children we expect our parents to be a bit perfect or all-knowing but then when we're no longer completely dependent on them we realize they're doing all of this for the first time as well they're navigating parenthood they're navigating growing up and growing old at the same at for the first time while we're learning to grow so they're they're dealing with new changes while we're dealing with the changes or we're, we're learning from the changes of our 20s examples of this include physically their joints are wearing away their back pain is getting worse and cognitively maybe they have a slower memory they're more forgetful than they used to be and that's frustrating i I couldn't imagine 
having to like deal with that i i don't know i already have a, a sort of terrible memory or like cognitively i don't know i think i'm a little slow uh yeah like i drive and i can't map out the road in my head sometimes things like that but to have drastic changes like that due to your age can be really terrifying and at the same time your children are leaving you to forge a life on their own it comes it coincides with the same time period that your parents are becoming increasingly dependent and perhaps fragile i know i'm describing my parents as if they're a hundred and they're basically in the nursing home which is not true they're still in their 50s but i think the concept still applies and and i don't think it's restricted to only my life when i'm in my 20s i think as i go into my 30s 40s and 50s my parents will also be growing increasingly old and so the the it's just i don't know i just think it sucks a little bit that the same time we're learning to be independent is the same it coincides with the time our parents are going old and perhaps being a little bit, a little bit more dependent so on to the episode or on to this week's episode the story time is i was at the optometrist and he's recently graduated i reckon like three or four years and we were chatting about yeah his recent graduation and sort of just my life in uni and he asked me with all seriousness what can i do to start looking out for myself i'm going to be in my 30s in a few years what vitamins do i take you know like what should i be doing to look after my health and this made me realize that although there are basic pillars of health that everyone knows because of how much knowledge we have about what's healthy for us and we're becoming a lot more health conscious through greater health literacy than we did decades or centuries ago some people may feel like living or maximizing their health and well-being is outside of their capacity and so today I'll be breaking down one of the greatest causes to downfall to the downfall of our health. One being tobacco smoking, I'm pretty sure, but like I don't have a lot of experience with that, so like I don't want to talk about it. I don't think I can offer very much besides just doing research, but anyone can do research. So I'm talking about the second, alcohol. Um the reason why is I have more experience with alcohol so I can talk about it more and it's interesting I think in the same way that tobacco also has a serious psychological aspect to it um alcohol I reckon is more prevalent in our our generation today so specifically I'm talking about three things. One, the social stigma against non-drinkers and how that's changing for the good and for the bad. Two, the role of the internet in the changing drinking culture. Internet, I'm referring to social media and news. And thirdly, what the step away from our society's excessive drinking culture does to us being less likely to step outside of our comfort zones. Perhaps that might mean us 
being more rigid, being more prone to social anxiety and things like that. Okay, so let's get straight into it. Alcohol and the social stigma against non-drinkers. So from my experience of going to gatherings and sometimes feeling socially awkward, um, I think that a lot of the games that are played at parties are deeply interlaced with drinking. For example, games where if you lose, you have to take a shot. And there are some, there's some leeway as in if you're not drinking, then you can maybe give your shot to someone else or totally like if you're not, um, what's it called when you like drink beer really fast? Mm, I don't know, but what's the word for it? Sculling, sculling. Like if you're not sculling beer, you can scull water instead, but like it's not as common. So a lot of the games that occur at events are drinking based and another aspect of drinking for me is like it releases a lot of like awkwardness or social awkwardness that I feel at events so sometimes I just don't have anything to do with my hands so I just like having a something to hold and that might be a drink in my hand but out of, out of that oh at other times I think or more importantly Drinking eases social inhibition. It releases feelings of self-consciousness. And I also drink... So, one, I drink because it's part of the drinking games. Two, because I don't want to feel as socially awkward. But three, sometimes I just drink for the feeling in itself. I am not sure, like, if everybody, like... Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I haven't discussed with people to know if other people drink for the same reason. Um, I have mentioned once to one person, they said, uh, that sounds like alcoholism, so I just never brought it up again. But I love that, and I totally understand why people drink, um, because alcohol sends them into a different dimension. It's where you're extremely carefree, I don't really care about how I look when I'm dancing. It feels... Drinking can give you a very out-of-body experience, right? And so the conjunction of the participation in the games, the having to drink so that you're not socially awkward, and perhaps the the head spin that you get from drinking, I think those are the three main ways drinking takes part in a night out. But there's a social shift away from alcohol and there's evidence that shows that rates of alcohol use by students has declined over the past three decades. The stats are in the past year it's gone from 79.8% to 41% um, and that's really significant. And I also can see these changes in my life as well. So, for example, my medical society is taking a lot of action to step away from excessive drinking. And it's hard, but they're doing things to attack the culture of excessive drinking by changing the nature of the games that you play 
so that there's always a non-drinking option. Even with events that are hosted at bars, a place where drinking happens, you can buy non-drinking tickets. And they're also cheaper, which is a bonus for people who don't drink. Um, Financially, but also culturally, it sets this baseline statement that there will be people who are attending who aren't drinking. And there is an expectation that some of the people who are coming aren't drinking. Um, And I think that's amazing. So why? Why is there a social shift away from alcohol? One, it could be people are more aware of drinking and its harms. But I feel like, unlike the confusion that the confusion of smoking or the health benefits of smoking, I think drinking has been, it's not been that ambiguous, right? Um, another possibility is that perhaps people with parents who abused alcohol may have sworn to never participate in it from an early age. But like that wouldn't have changed much, right? And technically, if you lived in a household where there was alcohol abuse, possibly you're more likely to fall into those um, spirals. And so another one was the maturation of our generation in making more sensible and complex decisions about our lives. Um, And maybe this maturity is new new in our generation that wouldn't have been that wouldn't have occurred in our predecessors for example our parents so those are my initial hypotheses about the social shift so now we've established that the portion of drinkers is decreasing in our age group let's go into it deeper let's answer why so the reasons come down to two main things the role of the internet and secondly it's not entirely separate but sort of separate is this new generation of no stigma so let's go to the role of the internet we've been on the internet from a really young age um, historically youngest and so we've been picking up a lot of more in like a lot more information than previous generations did We now live in a world where we have too much information. And before, all of our information was coming from credible sources, like the news. Well, to what degree is the news credible? But, like, credible official resources. And now, most of the information that we get can be from social media. Like, I learned about the Queen's death on TikTok. um, Which I love, because without... TikTok, I wouldn't have known the... Oh, I would have known the Queen died. But the point is, is a lot of the information that we're getting is from less official, less credible news. Um, and because we're getting more information about the world around us, which means the great things as well as the terrible things, the crimes and the things like... um, Yeah. Many people are anxious about the world perhaps in ways that generations before us might not have experienced at such a young age. We're seeing increased concerns about financial and social security, including global issues such as climate change in increasingly younger populations. 
So all of that is related to the rise of social media, right? Um, and it's one of the biggest contributors to alcohol abandon- abandonment, at least if not abandonment, alcohol use in moderation. Why? Because we're, we're much more connected with each other as well as with the world, um, like the world news, than we were before. And so on a smaller scale, if you do something stupid, there's a risk that it goes out into the wider world and affects the way that your classmates, your teachers, your future employers view you. And so it can lead to many more people being reserved about their public social behavior than they were in the past. There are cameras everywhere. Sometimes you come back from a night out and you see you're standing in the background of someone's story. And those kinds of things make you really, if not consciously and subconsciously aware of your actions. And so that's been stipulated. Is that, a, is that the right word? It's been, okay, pos- maybe postulated. Suggest or assume the existence, fact or truth of something as a basis for reasoning. Yeah. So the role of the internet has been postulated as one of the reasons why people are being, are drinking less. Secondly, and the, for me, the more interesting reason is we're living in a no stigma generation and an Australian futurist demographer and social commenter commentator Mark McCrindle has made some observations about our generation being kids born after 2000. We live as more non-judgmental, culturally diverse, sophisticated and sensitive to cultural attitudes that are different from our own. Hence the line, no stigma generation. We're seeing this through increasing support for the LGBT community. We're seeing this in increasing respect for people from different religions, especially if not all over the world, I think in the, maybe the society that I'm living in and this no judgment sensitive to cultural attitudes attitude and mentality expands out to what we do and don't do what we eat or drink our sexuality and our religion and it comes from being a part of a more culturally diverse generation and we are culturally diverse not just from immigration but also We're using social networks in a much more sophisticated manner. The way we use social media is no longer to stay up to date with what our family in America is doing, but we're getting news from social media. We have a better and more sophisticated understanding of the diverse communities around us, and we're more sensitive to that. So all of this is connected to... We're being more open with people not drinking and we're tackling slowly but progressively the issues of stigma against people who don't drink. 
And I think that's really, it's obviously very beautiful. Um, the information that we're getting around the world is no longer coming from news channels. They, news channels are no longer the main so our main source of international information. And so in the past, our information might have been skewed in the following ways, like the news channel's political alignment would change what we learn from it, or the type of people who are interviewed. You're not going to interview, like from on the news channel, we're not going to hear a lot of the voices of people in low socioeconomic communities, but we're going to hear it from people with power, heads of states, political party members. But now anyone which is a blessing or a curse but and a curse but anyone can post on the internet so we're getting a lot of footage on the ground of people's day in the lives and we get a lot more information about the people our age or even outside of our age and what their cultures are like and even if it comes with caveats like oversharing and a generation of too much information as a whole it's led to this no stigma generation. So we've delved into reasons why people are shifting away from drinking. I also want to mention like a PSA. Um, there should be, even if it's great that people are drinking less in terms of your health, in terms of social behavior, there should be, there should never be shaming for people who drink at all, but especially those who drink responsibly. The reason why I don't think you should shame someone for drinking, even if they drink a lot, is like they're not going to address their drinking if they feel ashamed about it. It's going to be something that's hidden away. Even if like the stigma against smoking, for example, like the smell, the tar staining on the fingers, the damage it has to your teeth, even if that has caused some people to quit, and I think that's great, like quitting something because of stigma against it rather than quitting something because you know that it is inherently bad for you, like they may have different outcomes. And I know that I can't speak on it because I have never dealt with the the plight or the challenges of quitting smoking or alcohol um i'll go back to my point and that is you should never you should never shame someone for wanting to drink on a night out to have a good time and i see this quite a lot and i see this increasingly as well and i think it's really frustrating um where i support people going out to clubs or bars or parties and choosing not to drink but you should never look down on people who choose to so if someone asks you, are you drinking tonight? Or if someone asks me and say, like, asks me, am I drinking, are you drinking tonight, Caroline? And I said, no, like, I'm planning on driving home or nah, I'm not planning to drink tonight. Their response should be respectful of my decision. And sometimes they may say something like, oh, awesome. I hope you're still having fun. Or, oh, yeah. Oh, that's so chill. So if that's my expectation for someone in response to me telling them I'm not drinking, it should be, it should go without saying that I'm also equally expected to respect the decision to drink. So if I'm asking someone, oh, are you, are you drinking tonight? Or, 
if I'm saying like, oh, like I'm going to get some shots. You want to come with me? Are you drinking too? And they say, oh no, like I don't, I don't, like I don't participate in that kind of behavior or, oh no, I, I actually care about my health. Like I'm not like you. Obviously I'm talking about it with a biased lens but you you know what I mean like with this attitude of oh like I'm so much better than you because I'm not drinking and I happen to be drinking on the night this is just such an ick as much as you expect a respectful answer when you tell someone or when you're not drinking that night you should be equally expected and you should be respectful of other people who are choosing to drink And so if you are listening to this and you do this and you look down on people who are also just wanting to have a fun night, they are responsible drinkers. The whole point is don't make drinking a shame, shameful thing to talk about. Don't look down on people who choose to do it, especially those who are just having fun, who aren't having that many, who are being responsible. For your information, if you are wondering on how much you are supposed to be drinking, um, based off of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners guidelines on drinking, it's drink two drinks per day or less or no more than four drinks on any one occasion. And you should always be aware of the dangers of operating a motor vehicle or performing other potentially dangerous activities after drinking. There should be simple advice to reduce alcohol consumption to all patients drinking at potentially risky or high risk levels and pregnant women should consider abstaining from alcohol. That's a little FYI if you wanted to know. So on the other hand, let's discuss what the negative ramifications are on a society that's shifting away from the excessive drinking culture. One of them is that Gen Z is missing out on a wealth of life experience due to being overly cautious towards taking risks. I so this was this came up in one of the articles that I was reading for research for this episode. Like I'm not sure if I agree with it. I definitely see it in myself. I'm I am 100% less of a risk taker than both of my parents. Um but yeah, let's like let's develop, let's discuss it, and then see what you think. See what we each think. So there's a disproportionate increase in the prevalence of social anxiety, professional anxiety, general lack of self confidence, and relationship issues. And these four rising concerns were in the conclusion of an academic study in the British Journal of Sociology. And it might be, like, a part of it, at least, could be due to the fact that our generation um, is increasingly studying and working online. So we're not really making friends in person as much. We're not going out as much. Or, or at least there was a time period of three years where we didn't go out as much but that would have only affected three years right so I'm sure like the people who were still doing uni or working in person before COVID happened like 
surely it wouldn't have impacted them that much. Um, what's more of a serious problem, I reckon, is the exacerbation of, cu- of hustle culture. People are feeling more pressure to achieve academically, to get into a better career than the parents. I think there's pressure as well to earn more than your parents did, which should make sense because of increasing incomes compared to the incomes that our parents had, as well as the level of education and access to information. But like houses weren't as expensive. Like houses are disproportionately, um, housing prices have exponentially increased since our parents' times and the living costs, the living crisis is significantly worse than the crisis if, yeah, of our parents. So like there's a hustle culture and people are like working towards getting into a good career so they can make a lot of money, maybe more than they did in the past, in past generations, because now it's about grinding, like work-life balance has always been an issue I'm, I'm sure in society but like it is at its all-time low at the moment this is not research by the way this is just my postulations um and sort of the priorities for partying and enjoying yourselves the focus on the social aspect maybe just not as important as it was before and I was reading um on the impacts of this shift away from alcohol and impact on creativity and the whole gist of it is it follows like this so when people are sober there are several steps of planning that happen before something takes place you've got the planning you've got the risk benefit analysis you've got all of those that take place but when someone is inebriated and a lot of the inhibitions that would normally take place are gone they are much more creative there that's where a lot of new ideas come to life that's where we step out of our comfort zones and try things that are new good and bad things but still like new things and there's a concern that when people are becoming much more rigid and staying within their comfort zones it will impact the general creativity of the world but like in my opinion what's the point in sort of making those claims or like what's the point in doing research like this because any benefit that comes from alcohol is going to be far outweighed like any benefit from excessive drinking is going to be far outweighed by the harms so it's like what's the point of even presenting with this information if like we're not going to do anything about it like this is there's this disease this week i learned about for example where alcohol is actually a protective factor but Like, who's going to drink alcohol to prevent inflammatory bowel disease? Um, Because any benefits of protecting yourselves from the specific type of inflammatory bowel disease is going to be far outweighed by the psychological and physical harms of alcohol, right? So, 
I just wanted to, before I wrap up, just take us back, like, down to earth for a little bit. Um, oh, no, that's not the right phrasing. But I just wanted to wrap it up by saying, like, this is not a world where, like, this conversation isn't really happening in a world where alcohol is not being consumed altogether. Like, people are still drinking, like, people are still having fun with alcohol with and without alcohol it's just the fact that drinking is becoming less of like the main thing in society and perhaps you may we may see a general decrease overall um i don't i don't really see a world where drinking stops altogether because there will still be people who enjoy drinking i still in i think drinking is fun um but i think it's just some of the ideas that are interesting to look at. 